What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Ben and Chris Talk Sports. I am Chris. And I am Ben. And we're here to bring you our opinions on our news notes and happenings from around the world of sports. Episode 155. Excuse me, 165. See, I did it again. I did it again. I cannot keep track of the number of episodes around. I don't know what my deal is. On today's episode, we have uh, some MLB kind of updates, although nothing really happened, but we'll fill you in on the very little that did. Uh, we also have a couple of uh, former head coaches getting coordinator positions in the NFL. And our top 10 list of non-elite quarterbacks we would start a franchise with. Going to start off getting into baseball. Uh, you know, Commissioner Rob Manfred, uh, the, the worst commissioner in all professional sports, maybe professional sports history, uh, would have to improve his intelligence just to be a complete moron. Uh, announced more spring training games canceled. And if a deal is not struck, which does not seem likely, by, I believe, February 28th, they would begin canceling regular season games also. So that's where they are. They're in 15-minute meetings and just leave without, you know, without any kind of advancement made in talks and discussion. And then they announce that, like, we're supposed to feel bad for one side or the other. It's really just more of the same. I'm not going to beat this any more than we already have. Uh, there's besides there's another comment by a young player I'd like to discuss a little bit more than the ongoing saga of when will they play, when won't they play. So, any any comments on that, Ben? Any insight there, or you want to there's, move on? I, I think there's one angle that we really haven't looked at, and and you might think, well, Ben, we've we've kind of dug into every aspect of how MLB is screwing this up, and what point could I bring up? Um, do tell. I bring, up, I bring up fantasy baseball and 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 not just the normal fantasy baseball leagues, but also DraftKings on how and other sites like that that have you know the daily fantasy stuff. Um, it's tough enough as it is, and and we know this firsthand of building a league, a standard normal operating fantasy baseball league. Um, to kind of operate. So this might not affect a, a, a pseudo DraftKings kind of 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 platform, but your standard eight to ten to twelve player league isn't happening. No, it's not. It's not happening. It was tough enough to begin with because there's so many stats and it's such a long season and you have to keep up with it. Do you want to do this type of league? Do you want to do? There's a lot there. Whereas football. It's pretty simple. You draft. You have uh, games typically one to two days a week. And then by week 15, you're done. It's not that hard. And you don't have to really, you know, look at a day in and a day out uh, to really kind of win a championship, make the playoffs, what have you. Uh, with baseball, it's more time invested, which kind of aligns with the actual baseball uh, where you have to invest more time. And my basic point, Chris, is anybody who tries to make money off of uh, baseball, whether it be gambling, you know, concessions, selling this, selling that, fantasy sports, is really going to start to feel that crunch and either A, their business is not going to be as successful, or B, they're going to divert their attention away from baseball, which then when baseball actually decides to play, 
they might not garner the attention they were getting before, which was not the top of the market. Some could argue not the top three of the market. So, and I know you're going to bring up uh, this young player's uh, points, and and I would, I would tell him, what is going to be the effect each and every time you guys cancel a game on the viability of the future of your sport? Because you may not feel it now. Uh, the older players not, may not feel it, but at some point there's going to be a time where the top of the market is going to start to go down. Uh, when I mean top of the market, top market players are going to start to see uh, significant dives in, in max deals or large contracts, yep. just because as much as we say it's millionaires versus billionaires uh, at some point there is a bottom line and you will have, you, you're a business and you have to justify your expenses by having equal, if not greater um, income and God, not starting on time ain't gonna help. Well, hey, you're 100 percent right, and t- t- I mean, all all this money from the TV deals and from the the licensing rights for the stadium and advertising that is only so high because the game can justify that and, and make it a, a return for those people investing in the advertising and the name of rights and all those things. If they continue to lose interest in the game those payments are going to go down. I mean, obviously, you have to write out contracts, contracts are contracts, but the next set of negotiations won't be as high if there's hundreds of millions of dollars less in revenue on the board. Um, it, it, it's, it's it's just a fact. I mean, I, I didn't go to school for, you know, marketing or, or accounting or anything, but if you don't have as much coming in, your company's not as valuable, people aren't going to pay you as much because there's not as many eyeballs on it. I mean, I love doing this podcast, but, I mean, let's face it, we don't, get the the downloads of uh anybody we listen to outside of this right somebody coming on here if they want to advertise isn't going to pay us what they're going to pay somebody from barstool they're just not because barstool has more eyeballs and they have more value in that in that capacity it's just how it's going to work it's it, it you know that's why everything for the nfl is through the roof because the nfl can say yeah look you're going to pay five million dollars for a super bowl spot 30 second commercial but you're going to have a hundred million eyeballs on your product at minimum. And there's half of those people are probably watching just for the commercials on Super Bowl Sunday. Try charging that during the World Series. See what happens. <laughs> You're going to have a bunch of dead air because no one's paying those prices because you don't have the return. So you're already not on that level when it comes to advertising and the ability to make money. But you have your TV deals that are so huge because there's so many games. Okay, well, now those TV deals are going to start getting hurt. Like they did two years ago, I got it to an extent until it became about money. Again, like it always is with them. It wasn't about player safety. If it was about player safety when the pandemic started, I could totally understand that. It's not what it was about from the owner or the player standpoint. It was always about how are we going to make the most money. How do you make the most money? Get your product on the field. Because the minute you start pissing off advertisers, that money dries up. Fans stop coming to the game. Money dries up there. But let, let's look at this. That's that's where most of Major League Baseball, uh, the profits come from. Advertising, and 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 revenue, jersey sales, all the other merchandise, right? So, all that stuff is through the roof. Profits were at an all time high, 
and they still have the balls to pull a move like this, have a lockout, and then we're going to go back to the stadium, and they're going to charge us $11 for a hot dog and $9 for a beer. And anybody's saying, well, they have to. They have to charge those prices. No, they don't. It's not like a movie theater. When you go to a movie theater, uh, if you pay $10 for a ticket for a mission, the theater's probably getting maybe a small fraction of that money. All their money comes in on concessions and revenue outside of the movie. When you're talking about a major sports stadium, team ownership owns those stadiums. A few complicated situations like the Chargers and, and, and Rams where there's more than one team playing is a little bit different, but I'm sure neither one of those teams is starving for money. So you could charge your ticket prices and then charge a respectable amount for like food. Like You don't have to charge $17 for a chicken finger basket. It's asinine. You're already paying hundreds for a ticket. And then you're going to expect us to go in there. You, you, know, you buy a jersey. Whatever whatever the memorabilia and merchandise is, it's what it is. What it is. That's fine. Yeah, yeah, That's cool. But now you're talking about you just want to have a, a sandwich or a coffee or a soda or a beer or a hot dog at a game. And you got to take out a second mortgage on your house when you get home just to be able to make your next freaking payment. Because these things are outrageous. Especially if you got a family. If you're alone, it's bad enough. you got a family. And then they sit there telling us it's not about money. It's not about money. You get billions from TV deals. Hundreds of millions at minimum from merchandise. And you still stick it to us on concessions. And why am I bringing this up? Seems completely random. They keep wanting to say it's not about money. If it's not about money, then don't make it about money. It's clearly about money. And if it's about money, then you're being very short-sighted to see that it's killing you with advertisers and fans. Do you think Daniel Snyder changed Washington's football uh, football team name because he wanted to be a nice guy? If you know Daniel Snyder, you know that's certainly not the case. He was told he said for years and years and years he would never change it. When did he decide to change it? Social pressure? Nope. Didn't hear anything about that. As soon as advertisers came in, yep. as soon as FedEx said we're gonna we're we're gonna be able to back out of our deal, we're gonna take the naming rights of the stadium away. Other people said they were gonna stop promoting the team and advertising for the team. All of a sudden. Those dollar signs spoke. So I think it's not going to happen, but it'd be really good as fans if when this game comes back, we just decided, you know what? You know what? Let them come to us. We're not going to sit there saying, the product you put on the field MLB is not good enough to justify that, first of all. Sorry, it's not. So you come to us now. Sadly, it won't happen. The gates will open, people will clamor to get in, and they'll keep paying asinine prices for everything. And then, you know, you'll get clueless people like Walker Bueller here, a young pitcher, very talented young pitcher for the Dodgers, who uh, wanted to correct people, wanted to correct the public when it came to this whole lockout situation by saying, people are looking at this wrong. It's not millionaires versus billionaires. It's employees versus owners. That's a really nice way to try to put it in layman's terms, but it's millionaire employees versus billionaire owners. And that's what it is, Walker. Put a dress on a pig if you want to, it's still a pig. Doesn't change it. Doesn't change... Even if you're not a top-tier player making millions a year, you're still probably making a very healthy living. Your food's being paid for at the stadium. You get the medical care. You get all these things that regular people outside of the game don't. You just, Walker, you live a life 99.99999% of existence will never live. 
So stop trying to come down to our level and condescend to us and make us feel bad for you. Yeah, I don't think I can add too much more to what you said. It's 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 not even because I was thinking it's it's him now reading the room, but that's not that. It's my, much like a lot of sports athletes, they just they live in this bubble that they once they're inside of it, they don't have a concept of what's going on outside of it. Yep. Like I can I can understand a lot of them had hard upbringings much much harder than me but once you're inside that bubble it's my belief that your concept of what reality is shifts um and now you don't have you you don't have the perspective anymore of what somebody living day in and day out on a minimum wage or above minimum wage or or just living paycheck to paycheck and it's really it's really disingenuous of him to come out and say you know it's about employees versus owners because it's really not and i can understand labor negotiations and you wanting what you want and the owners wanting what they want but here's the problem and i think i brought this point up it's this is the sport that we talk the most money, most about money issues between the owners and the players. Yep. It's just really that simple. The attention that the NFL can get on the scouting combine, the senior bowl, just speaks volumes to their ability to get attention to their fans and make their fans want to see their product to be able to invest in a player when they see him at the senior bowl or they publicize the, um, like they give advertisement or public publication to the national championship. Now you're, you're investing time into these kids at 18 and you're just following them through their career. You know why you can't do that with MLB is they don't do the college for college baseball justice. That's for one and two. And this is part of the negotiations except for elite talent. And when I mean elite, I'm talking about Mike Trout, Ken Griffey Jr., Alex Rodriguez. Those are the kind of players who go into the draft and almost immediately are at on the on the big stage. Other than that, you don't see these guys for three to four years. They're in, you know, Tucson or or Toledo or Pawtucket or name your small uh, minor league uh, minor league team, and they're there for years on end. And that's kind of part of the problem is they just. There's no visibility for these younger players as soon as they enter the draft uh, to see them and not much before that. And I think that's part of the problem is, is you just don't have that investment until the player actually gets there and establishes themselves. But again, it, it all comes back to money. It all comes back to money. And personally, until MLB fixes a lot of stuff, 
I don't know when I'm going to go back. Yeah, I got to tell you, man, I, I love I love the Red Sox uh, as as much as anything I, I love in sports. Um, but I'm not I'm not going to. Uh, I don't know. I don't even know the words for it. I'm I'm, I'm sitting here like we're, we're trying to do a podcast and I can't speak, so that's that's great. I don't have any words for it. It's it, it's it's completely tone deaf. It's not reading the room. We've discussed all that. Um, it's just it's craziness, and 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 like you said, it doesn't happen in any other sport like this, and it continuously happens in Major League Baseball, and they're just hurting themselves. Fans, I know diehard lifelong fans who have just stopped caring. And not, not like that I'm frustrated after my team loses, not caring. Just legit, legitimately just dejected. I don't know what to say anymore. I love this game, but this is insanity. And it, it just, it, it goes to show you how clueless both sides truly are. And I'm not going to dwell on this. But it's, it's just kind of a point I thought of when you were when you were talking about your thoughts on Walker Bueller and like, he could have come out and he could have said, instead of trying to, what they're trying to do now is come down to the layman's level, the everyday man's level. Well, the everyday man is struggling to put $5 a gallon gas in their car and, uh, you know, a $4 a pound chicken breast on the table, things that were half that much this time last year. And even less than that this time, two years ago. And now you're going to come down and tell us it's not about money. It's not about money at all. It's about employee rights and employer rights. Okay. If you're going to go that route, give us some legit numbers. I know you can't give out like personal information. I'm not asking that. Give us some real numbers. The average, uh, the average first year player, uh, makes this much as opposed to this in other sports or, uh, give us statistics on how the owners have screwed with service time or the teams have screwed with service time to prevent somebody from getting a Super 2 to to allow them to make more money faster. Give us those details. Don't just say, woe is us. We're the poor employees of Major League Baseball. Feel bad for us. We're the victims here. Like, if I had to choose a side, I am on the player's side. Because the pay structure is messed up. I'm not faulting anybody, again, for making their money or wanting to make their money. You tell me that kind of contract, I, I could sign that kind of contract tomorrow, I wouldn't heartbeat, and anybody listening would too. And if they say you're not, you're lying. But it's just, stop making it, stop trying to act like you're doing us a favor by coming down to our level and explaining it to us in layman's terms. You know, if you're a baseball fan, you're pretty good with numbers. You're pretty good with analytics. You're pretty good with all this other nonsense they've introduced the last 10, 15 years, 20 years. You're going to understand where they're coming from. These baseball players, 80% of them are probably relatively intelligent, but they're not rocket scientists. We're all working on an equal intelligence level here. It doesn't take a, bra- a rocket scientist to throw a 99-mile-an-hour fastball. John Rocker proved that. Uh, so, <laughs> like, just come at it from a legitimate standpoint. A legitimate standpoint. Look at when um, 
uh, who was it? Uh, Max Scherzer, I think, came out a couple mo- about a month ago. About a month ago. Month, six weeks ago. Said one of our biggest hang-ups is we don't want a young player to have to wait five, six years to get their money. And yeah, that's about money. But he wasn't denying it was about that money. He was admitting, look, a player comes in, I mean, yeah, you get your exceptions like Fernando Tatis Jr. and Mike Trout. Yeah. Most players come in and, you know, they don't they don't see those that, that big money. I mean, they're still not hurting. That's why I said I'm still not, you know, throwing a pity party. We're not starting GoFundMes for anybody. They're still making a couple hundred K a year. And even if they're making under that, they're making almost that. And they're still getting all these other benefits on top of it. On top of the fact, you know, they get to play a game for a job. Um, But I could appreciate that for Max Scherzer. Yep. This is a hang-up. We don't want our players. Like in the NFL, you don't have... Yeah, you have your initial four-year contract and they could pick up the fifth year. But that fifth year is usually... if, if that's only It's only if you're a first-rounder. And with picking up that fifth-year option, it comes a pay increase hike. Significant. Significant. Like, if you're making around one, one, one and a half a year as a first-round pick, and you get that fifth-year option picked up, you're probably making somewhere in a six to ten range now. And the team has to pick that up before the fourth yes. year starts. So you know you so, know where you stand. And if you, don't, if you don't get that picked up, now you're in a contract year, and a lot of players start to perform at peak level for a contract year. Now you're you're taking advantage of a, a situation where you're four years in and you're going to get a, a a sweet pay deal and and but in, in baseball you have no idea yeah now the one plus side in baseball is as long as you don't violate something explicit in your contract it's all guaranteed money so if a, if if I'm not going to say any names I don't want to jinx anybody because God knows I've done it to poor Derrick Henry say. Young player X, who's only had a year and a half in the league, signs a $300 million contract and doesn't violate anything on that contract. Like, some will say, like, oh, you can't go, you can't go water skiing, you can't do this, because if you get hurt, that's a violation of your contract. Say no funny business, they just get hurt and they can't ever play again. That team's still on the hook for every dime of that. It's all guaranteed in baseball. So they have a leg up there as opposed to the NFL. But as far as getting that money to the young players... They got to work on that. There's no reason not to. You think Fernando Tatis Jr. How much? How many hundreds of millions of dollars they're making a year off that off that young man in merchandise? Ton of money, ton of money. Which is why they knew sooner rather than later he was going to get pissed if he didn't start seeing some of that come back to him because he knows what he's worth. He's not stupid. So you know he had his first year, came up, star studded, part of a first year, huge second year. And, and and then he got his contract extension before year three. I don't think he was a super two. They did that to avoid any kind of issues, which was smart on their part. But now they have to make that the norm. They can't just expect people to do the logical thing for business and for the overall uh, positive chemistry and positive attitude of the team. They have to start. It has to be something that's actually part of you know the the actual process, like. Four years, you're a free agent. Five years, you're a free agent. It can't. They have to figure out a way to work the service time setup and make it work with, you know, the the actual like numbers. There's so much when it comes to baseball that is just so convoluted 
That's why I got a little hung up there. I'm trying to explain it, and I'm getting confused in my own head because it's like, how do you how do you say the minute you're drafted? Because if you say the minute you come up to the major leagues, then again you can still manipulate service time. So it's 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 a really crazy thing. You're not telling me with all the deep dive analytics they have in Major League Baseball, they can't come up with some way to make it work. They absolutely can. So, Walker, I got nothing against you, nothing personal. Don't know anything about you. You could be an awesome dude. You could be a complete a-hole. I have no idea. If I were you, I'd either let one of the veterans talk or I'd read the room a little bit better because you just made yourself sound stupid. So, all right, on to the NFL. Uh, I, I wanted to bring this up. We have a couple of uh, couple of uh, coordinators, now the coordinators who were head coaches last year, who got coordinator positions. Um, Matt Nagy, um, <laughs> uh, Bears head coach, uh, is now on the Kansas City Chiefs staff. Not sure the official title there, but he was hired by the Chiefs. Uh, and Brian Flores. Currently in a lawsuit with the NFL, who was unbelievably fired by the Dolphins and should have become the next head coach of said Chicago Bears, uh, has been hired by the Pittsburgh Steelers. No surprise there that the Roonies would not be afraid <laughs> to pick up somebody who's a little might be a little bit embattled with the league. Um, I think those are both good additions. Those are both, you know, Flores will be a head coach again within a couple of years, no doubt. I'd, I'd be shocked. He'd have to. A lot would have to come out about him or he'd have to, you know, say he hates, like, puppies and happiness and sunshine or something for people to turn on him. Uh, I was hoping he'd come back to the Pats as a coordinator. I do understand the uh, the confusion between the Belichick emails and him. I don't know if that's caused any tension between the two of them. He says it didn't, but um, I can understand him not coming back for that. And it might just look a little funny. Great addition. We all know what the guy can do. He knows his he knows his stuff. And um Yeah, if I one of the worst moves the Dolphins have made in a long time. So I do not I d I don't I, I have no idea still what they were thinking by firing this guy, but um that's a Steelers benefit. And you're talking about a team who's gonna have a young quarterback coming in or at least a new quarterback coming in. Uh and some, you know, some changes on that offensive side of the ball, especially having a guy like Flores is going to come in handy. Yes, it's it's a fantastic move by the Steelers, just adding more talent into their coaching ranks. Especially if, and then there's no indication Tomlin's going to retire anytime soon. I haven't heard anything, but. Oh, dude, told you like in his late 30s, isn't he? He's not right. that old. Yeah, no. I, I don't know if he, I think he's in his 40s, but. It, 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 in, in the event that he decides to step away before uh, the Roonies think he would, you have a built-in replacement um, with Flores because, like you said, even if he even if he spends like a year or two in his position, he'll be a candidate before you know it again. Uh, because his lawsuit, I mean, I, he wouldn't obviously be a candidate for the Broncos or the Giants or the Dolphins, obviously. But there's other teams that are out there that the owners are kind of – the owners are a different breed. And we've talked about the owners before and how they're, they, they see things differently. And some of them may need to adjust how they see 
um, coaching staffs and, and head coaches and GMs, but there are a couple of wild cards out there who might go, you know what, even though he's suing the league, it has nothing to do with me. I'll take a, sh- I'll take a chance on him. Cause yep. I see what he did in Miami. I see even with all, cause whatever you think of the situation in Miami, um, whether you believe Ross or you believe Flores or you believe that somewhere in the middle, he obviously has some crap to deal with from his owner, his GM, and he still produced that on the field. So you do need to look at that and say, okay, if we can have a better communication between the GM, the head coach, and the owner, that maybe the production on the field will be even greater than what he displayed in Miami. So that's why I think spends a year, maybe two in his position. And before you know it, he's a head coach somewhere with actual starting quarterback to start off with, because if I were Brian Flores, I'd go somewhere where there was an established quarterback. I don't need, because he basically dealt with, um, what I think is pressure to lose to get the best pick possible. And when then that, when he didn't get the top pick, it was problematic for the owner. Now they got Tua. I like Tua, but maybe he's not the answer. Yeah. It's hard to tell. There's been so much inconsistency down there and now it's even more turnover. It's going to be even harder for this guy to develop the way he needs to. So I just think he'll, he'll go into an established location with an established starter or at least like a one or two year or even go into a team where they already bottomed out and they have the top pick, the top two picks going into the organization saying, hey, this is who I who I like and who I don't like in the draft. You know, just having that ability the first year to have that guy that they say is a starting quarterback. Because as we've said before, this is a quarterback-driven league. Oh, yeah. Even though there are 50-some other odd players on the on the roster, quarterbacks kind of drive where your team's going to go. Look at Tennessee, you know. He's good, but he's not great enough to get you there. So that's just my two cents on, uh, on Brian Flores. Yeah, I'm happy for him. Good for him. Uh, good for the Steelers to not let, you know, the the wrath of dictator Goodell uh, <laughs> affect them in their decision making. Uh, and I, you know, good for Matt Nagy too. Matt Nagy, you know, didn't do great as Chicago's coach. Had a lot of issues with personnel use, and we were certainly on his case. I've been on his case for years, but you know, you have it's a different situation than something like Urban Meyer. People didn't like Urban Meyer as a person with his attitude because he came from the college world of I am God here and I can do whatever I want to the NFL world where, yeah, you have a lot of say, but it doesn't exactly fly that way. Uh, and nobody really seemed to like him all that much in the organization. Matt Nagy was a different story. Didn't have a whole lot of success on the field, but uh, people liked him. It wasn't any kind of personal issues. It was just, dude wasn't getting it done on the field. So... Glad he got a chance to go and show what he can do with a really good team. And I believe he came from the Chiefs, didn't he? 
I actually don't remember where he I came from. I think I saw something about he was returning to work. Maybe it wasn't the Chiefs, but I think he's worked with Andy Reid before. I thought I saw something about that. Uh, maybe I'm for, misremembering, but I thought I did. Uh, but yeah, but good for those guys. And I wanted to bring this up also because you, you mentioned uh, inadvertently, you, you you brought it up kind of What's in that? when you're talking about baseball and all the ways NFL can make money and how baseball, you know, doesn't really have that. Uh, the scouting combine, which is relatively big deal every year. It's not as big yeah. as the draft, but it's, you know, scouts from the teams go and it's covered on the media and they have, you know, they have all sorts of like charity things attached to it. And NFL makes a lot of money off this. Mm-hmm. Well, the NFL tried playing big boy with players they don't have signed and it didn't work. They came out a couple weeks ago and they said something about they were going to have a COVID bubble at the combine and any player who left the bubble and broke protocol would be told that they could not come back. They were not welcome back at the combine. Now these players are not under contract. We talk a lot about the players on, you know, protocols on teams. Cause you're on that team. You've agreed to that. You're working for that system already. Correct. These are people who don't work for them yet. They want to, but they haven't yet. So th- these players came out. Uh, this is at a time, mind you, when, a lot of mandates, wherever you stand on this, like it, don't like it. That's not the point. It's not the point of the contest. Hear what I'm saying. Not, don't, don't get off a soapbox, wherever you are. A lot of the mandates and restrictions have been lifted. And we're getting back to a normal, respectable way of life. Mm-hmm. And the NFL still wants to try to pull a rank. They did, they did that to try to pull a rank with young players to let them know we're in charge. And apparently over 150 players got together and said, including some big names, who I I don't think the names were released, but apparently internally there were some big names who came out and said, okay, we're just not going to go. We're just going to boycott the uh, the Combine, and uh, we'll see you on draft day. And the league very quickly realized it overstepped. And uh, they, they took all those mandates and restrictions away, and they said, oh, you know what, maybe we were a little too harsh. So... I always like seeing whenever whenever dictator Goodell gets a little gut punch to his ego. Like, yeah, we're not we're not going to come in under the guise of you already telling us how to live our life, dude. Sorry, no, <laughs> not happening. So, um, thought that was kind of cool. Again, maybe you disagree with me, maybe you don't out there. Don't know, but that's how I feel. Um, There's really no need for it. It was just restrictions for the sake of restrictions at that point, and uh, yeah. So, any thoughts on that? We'll move on to our top ten list. I mean, I'll just say this. I'm pretty sure, to, to your point, I'm pretty sure the 32 teams, each team acts its, act as its own club or kind of company, and they're under a collectively bargained agreement under the NFL. And this is – and let, let me be very clear. I am not a law professor. I do not study constitutional law but this is why they aren't constituted as a monopoly. Um, And I'm covering the surface. I don't know the deep dives into this only for some reason. The only reason why I know some of this stuff is because all the bullshit that happened with Brady, I went down rabbit holes. So um, that being said, these guys aren't signed under contracts. They're not, they're not beholding to, any stipulations that the league would put in. I mean, 
the only thing I would say is the facility that is, I believe Jim Irsay owns the facility, um, not the RCA dome, whatever the hell, whatever he's calling it right now. If he owns it, I guess you would call that a, uh, a private business with, then he'd have the right to, but as you pointed out, without naming names, the, some highly, highly talented players that are going to the draft made their voices uh, very clear that we're they not going to fly. That. Yeah. <laughs> they ain't going to fly. I mean, we're not going to sit in here for, we, they're poked and prodded and they're told to jump and they're told to do this and that for a few days to get some metrics on that in all reality are like five to 10% of the factoring process for these teams. You really want to look at game film is what you want to look at. You don't really, Oh, it's great. He runs a four, he runs a four, two flat in skin tight shorts and a skin tight sleeveless shirt and these light cleats that would never get worn during game day. Right. That's great. He wins a four two. So let's put a little, you know, if we can factor in how much weight this, that, how many times have you seen players who run four twos and their speed just doesn't translate? How many players have you seen run four fives that all of a sudden they get on the field it's a little different because they're more built for the game. Right. Not so much as a track and field star. So they overstepped. They overstepped on something that gets attention. Uh, not as much. I enjoy watching the combine. Uh, I don't think you dip your toe too much into it. Uh, if I remember correctly, I don't. Not, not like, usually, what, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, and that's the difference. And we both equally like the NFL the same, but we just have interact with different things uh, in, in different uh, aspects. But it is it is Roger Goodell overstepping his bound unnecessarily. Um, at at minimum, this might leave a bad taste in these these players uh, this year but I think they could get over it uh, once they get drafted, but it's going to be, it's going to be in the back of their head to say, you know, Roger Goodell tried to do this at my combine. What else is he going to try to do? Cause we've seen all the other stuff he's done to different players and the stuff he never did to certain players and owners. Let's just, it, it, it's, It'd be prudent for these players to just put that in their memory bank and say, "Okay, I'm gonna I'm I'm lock that in for another day and see what happens in the future." Yeah, and I remember a brief a brief time last year when all this stuff was going on, and, and with actually it was about a year and a half ago, almost two years now, when all the COVID stuff started and and the league was you know they did the draft all remotely, and we were talking about how well Goodell handled that, even though we weren't big fans of his, but. You know, he handled it well. And then all this John Gruden stuff happened and all this other stuff happened with the league. And it just reminds you exactly how dirty this guy is and how shady he is. And, um, yeah, it's uh, God, that, 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 that momentary lapse of thinking highly of him fell flat pretty quick. 
So, okay. Now, last week, Ben and I, we were talking about, you know, quarterbacks and, and uh, who would be on what team, a different team when this year started, would Aaron Rodgers be with the Packers, would Russell Wilson be with the Seahawks, would Baker Mayfield be with the Browns? Uh, and it got me thinking, uh, if you could start a franchise right now, and you get not a year or two with these players in their current state with their assumed injuries aside, assumed current careers left in front of them, who would you pick? Now, we took the elites out of it. We took guys like Josh Allen and, and Patrick Mahomes out of it because obviously they're just going to be one-two. As it is, I'm pretty sure I know Ben and I is one and two anyways, but made it a little bit more um, a little bit more mystique to it, taking those guys out. And I also didn't add guys like Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers because realistically, well, Brady's retired, you know, allegedly. We'll see what happens. And Rodgers has already contemplated retirement. So you're not going to start a franchise for the next 10 years with a guy who might give you a year or two. I stayed away from older players. So I kind of went younger, the younger generation, however ranked people. So I went about it. Ben apparently has uh, has fifteen. He couldn't he couldn't pare it down to ten. Uh, but well, I'll just do my top ten. Well, you can do your honorable mentions first. You can do your honorable honorable mentions if you want. Um, yeah. So I mean, that's that's what we're gonna do here. We're gonna go back and forth, and if we have any that are similar, we're not gonna rehash anything when we get to that person. Like if my number ten is Ben's number three, when he gets to three, you know, we're not just gonna rehash everything all over again. But we'll say a short statement on why yeah. we think that player is where they are. And then we'll move on. So uh, you want to start it? Or you want to give your honorable, honorable mention and I'll, give your number just, 10? I'll just lay out. I have five honorable mentions in no discernible order because realistically, they all have mitigating factors on why they didn't crack the top 10. I have uh, Mac Jones, Trevor Lawrence, Ryan Tannehill, Teddy Bridgewater, and Baker Mayfield, all kind of in that honorable mentions where you could, you could make, I could make a case for them being number 10. But I just didn't see them in number 10. Um, okay. Obviously, Mac and Trevor, a little young. Teddy, Teddy just inconsistent, but has the talent. Tannehill, just inconsistent without his running back. And Baker, we just haven't seen enough of Baker to – kind of the same with Teddy, just inconsistent. Yeah. You're going to be you're gonna be surprised with some of the names on my list based on what you just said, but – this will be fun. Number 10, Derek Carr. I think he's put enough enough on the field and on film to prove to be in this top 10 list. Um, just consistency. Consistency with a, a head coach having belief in him. I think we'll, and and that one year where it looked like he was ascending – and he got injured. I think that's still in him. Um, and I'll be curious to see if Josh McDaniels can get that out of him this year. Number 10 for me, Baker Mayfield. Uh, he's still very young, only four years in the league going into year five. Uh, has had some flashes. Uh, he's at 10 and not higher because, you know, I don't know if it's him not being able to work with certain players' attitudes. Um, or just coaching, or, or what the deal is. He seems like a solid enough guy, but y- you just you don't see consistency from him. 
you'll see flashes, and then he goes back down to three-pick Mayfield. You know, it, you'll have a 300-yard game where he looks phenomenal, and then he'll look like a backup the following week. Uh, this past year showed a lot of heart, so that definitely gives him some some credibility in my book. A lot of heart playing on the playing when he had numerous injuries, and he wasn't really complaining about it. He would just kind of bring it up when people were like, "Well, why are you struggling?" Well, my shoulder's hanging on by a thread, so that's probably why. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, uh, certainly wouldn't be my first pick. But if I had you know a mid first round pick to start a quarterback or franchise with a quarterback, I'd, I'd take a shot at Baker. Number nine, Kyler Murray. Ooh, I think he nine. still has the, yeah, nine, nine. Ooh. He has upside. I think this offseason has has affected his status in my eyes where I'm like, what is real? And I haven't seen that ascension that I've seen from Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, uh, Patrick Mahomes. Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert. I I haven't seen that next step because and, and it could have been you know DeAndre Hopkins not being there, but this team should have been at minimum number two in the division. Legitimately, it should have been the division winner because mostly of Kyler Murray and. If that's going to be your franchise quarterback, he needs to provide that for you. Because I believe Justin Herbert is doing equally the amount for the Chargers as Kyler Murray is. And this year, I could see that if that continues to this next season and the Chargers bring in another wide receiver or a tight end or both, and they bring in and they're they're more consistent on offense and maybe beef up the offensive line a little bit more that you're looking at a division winner or competing with the Chiefs in the division. Whereas Kyler has a lot of the pieces he needs. Could use some more line help, but realistically, I think he's got the weapons to make a serious playoff push and it's just and then all the stuff that happened this offseason. Yeah. I, I'm concerned that and, – and I'm concerned about this new narrative that starts because I saw it with Russell yesterday where they just wiped their Instagram or Twitter um, – well, it's mostly Instagram – of um, any affiliation to that team. Russ did it with the Seahawks. Kyler did it with the Cardinals. I, I don't understand what kind of negotiation tactic that is. Um, but I don't think it's good. And I, I, I'm hoping that the team can repair the relationship and they can move forward because realistically, I think Kyler makes sense for this team going forward with the offense that Cliff, Cliff Kingsbury put in place. All right. Number nine for me, Davis Mills of the Texans. I know, I know, Who I get is this it. Guy, I hear, I hear it, I hear it. But hear me out. That was a team under extreme turmoil. 
that did not have a barely had a running game. If they had one, they were hiding it. Didn't have a whole lot at receiver, uh, you know, as far as known talent wise. Obviously, Brandon Cooks, we know the talent he is. Uh, didn't know what to expect from him. You know, you come from Deshaun Watson, who was one of the top, you know, athletic athleticism being the the the, the primary driver here. One of the best quarterbacks in the league, Deshaun Watson, obviously, and understandably, uh, situations he put himself in kept him from being on the field. And Davis Mills came in, and yeah, the team record wasn't great, and he didn't look exceptional at all times, but he stands in the pocket. He makes nice throws. Didn't really look too shaken up constantly. Did really, really well for a team that didn't offer a whole lot of protection to a mobile quarterback like Deshaun Watson, never mind Davis Mills. Had more 300-yard passing games than any other quarterback. And I know I know it's kind of a weird metric because if you're behind really early, of course you're just going to be able to throw in garbage time. I get that. But as somebody who sits there every Sunday and watches you know, NFL Red Zone and and sees all these plays, this kid wasn't just a garbage time quarterback. He made some nice throws in tough situations. And he kept his composure, and he was a solid foundation for that team. I think if I'm the Texans, I say, we got to see what we have here. We're not bringing anybody else in. We're going to see what we got here with this kid. We're going to get rid of Watson, and we're going to try to bring in some help for him, especially a line, because he's not nearly as mobile. And see where it goes. I mean, you're already at the bottom of the barrel. You may as well see what you have with what you already have. There's big-name quarterbacks in this past draft that are not going to have the career that Davis Mills will have. I'm going to go on record saying that right now. Number eight, Kirk Cousins. I I knew this was going to be your reaction. Yeah, I'm going to say, you know, you put the right right pieces around him, and the argument could be that, well, he's had the right pieces around him. Well, I just wonder – if you have a more offensive mind at either head coach or a, or a OC that maybe you can get more out of Kirk Cousins, out of Dalvin Cook, out of the receiving core, and maybe actually push to, to actually make a playoff run. And I think there's still enough there to make – make your case for, for Kirk Cousins to be an actual top 10 quarterback. And I think that's, that's where he resides. But right where, where I'm at at the bottom of this list, Chris, is these, these seven to 10 are kind of like that five I mentioned before. I could rethink this list this week. Yeah. And my seven through 10 could be totally different next week just because I can start thinking through what these other guys could provide. And I'm like, Oh, well then I'm going to slide this one in. I just went with this and I'm like, this is going to be my list. And I'm going to ride with this because I could do this a hundred times. And it's being the top five. I'm confident where the top five are going to be at. And then it just starts to get murky after that, which is why we eliminated the two at the top, Allen and Mahomes, which I agree with you, Brady and Rogers kind of, Next them, which is why I made the bottom list, which is why our bottom lists are going to be totally different. Yeah. Um, I just think 
Cousins has has provided more consistency as as in relation to the rest of the players I've mentioned has provided more consistency than they have. Um, whether it was ti- it's time frame, um, no injuries, but he does have the weapons. I just wonder what a new offensive coordinator, a new GM, a new head coach is going to do for him, which is why Kevin O'Connell, which still scratches my head to this day, but he's part of the tree of Sean McVay. And as you so eloquently put, Chris, if you hold a clipboard for Sean McVay, you're in a running for You're going to get a head coaching job. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, I was spoiler. I didn't have cousins on my list. I, I hear everything you're saying. I, I get it. Um, I just, I feel you're going to laugh because some of the people on my list are going to go over cousins. You really you feel that way. I feel we've seen everything we can get from him personally. Uh, I feel a couple of these players I have lower on my list. There's still more to see or a better coach could get more out of them. They don't have one of the best running backs in the league, a great offensive line, two outstanding receivers, a solid tight end. And they're still not making the playoffs. So, kind of, I feel personally, we've seen everything we're going to get from Kirk Cousins. But that's why it's your list and not mine. So, I'm going to move on. (laughs) Number eight for me. This is my homer pick. Mac Jones of the Patriots. Uh, I think if we redid this list this time next year, it'd be even higher. Um, Yeah, he had some games, especially after the bye week. We, We all know how good. He started out pretty decent. You know, he's a rookie, made some rookie mistakes, had some good, some bad, some stupid throws, some phenomenal throws. thing that impressed me most about him that any coach, any coach worth their salt can work with, composure. He has fire for the game. He's excited to play the game. You can tell that. The guys playing for him, with him, believe that and go to bat for him. And he doesn't get shaken. He had one game earlier in the year. That, that Saints game where he looked real bad. And Belichick went to the bench, got him, brought him to the locker room instead of having him get exposed to the media because they would just torn him apart with all these stupid nonsense questions. Brought him back. And ever since then, throws a pick right back on the field, throwing, throwing, throwing. And not throwing carelessly, just I believe in my ability. Right. And I think with McDaniels, Mr. We're going to pass all the way down here and then run straight to the center of the defensive line three times in a row on the goal line. With him in Vegas, you're going to have a lot more uh, chances for Mac Jones to open things up a little bit, especially with, I believe, one of the more underrated running games in the whole NFL. And a receiving core I think they're going to improve upon. Number seven, I have Jimmy Garoppolo. Understanding that he has been the model of inconsistency. I think it's proven you have, you give him a number one, a, a solid to, to upper echelon defense and a running game that can provide you, can provide the offensive line enough time to give him protection. When I mean by that, I mean, it keeps that, de- it'll keep that defense honest so that they're not pinning their ears back against a, less than offensive line, which I don't think the 49ers had, but I think it proves that he can live with a less than offensive line with a more superior um, running game. And 
I think it's proven that when when his defense is less than average and the pressure's on Jimmy, he's not as good. So the right situation needs to fall in place. But when I'm thinking of this list, Chris, I'm thinking I have my quarterback. I'm going to construct the rest of the team around that quarterback. If I, if I know with Jimmy what I need to get to make him productive, that's why he's at number seven, whereas some of these other guys, I don't quite know where they're at yet. I don't quite know what I need and what I don't need. And I do like having someone where I, you know, I can say I know what I need to build around him. So I can take Jimmy, put him in his spot. And then if, if we're factoring in money, I know I can allocate X number of dollars to him, not overspend and start spreading that money all around, whether it be, you know, salary cap money, draft capital, what have you. Uh, I just think he can provide me a consistent offense week in, week out if I, if I put the right pieces around him consistently. Okay. Number six for me. Wait, no. Seven, yeah, six. Seven. Number seven, seven for me. Seven. I can't. I got the spreadsheet here, and the first one, the first column is our names, so it threw me off. Uh, number seven for me, Jalen Hurts of the Eagles. Uh, people, I mean, people can laugh at that. The Eagles were a shit show two years ago. The whole Carson Wentz, Jalen Hurts thing, the whole uh, Doug Peterson pulling Hurts when they give him the best chance to win against the Giants. Uh, and it was clear to just get a better pick. I mean, we all knew what was going on there. Uh, they were winning the game and then throw that backup in who had zero experience when they still had to see more from Hertz. We knew what that was. Uh, Peterson leaves, whole new coaching staff. Um, a lot of negativity surrounding the team and a fan base that, let's face it, is not exactly very forgiving. Uh, historically, at least. And kid comes out and has a really solid 2021. I mean, he, he, I'm looking at his numbers right here. Uh, 3,100 passing yards, 16 touchdowns, nine picks, not great, certainly not awful. And you add to that almost 800 yards rushing and 10 more rushing touchdowns on top of that. I mean, and this is a kid who's still learning, who, again, they didn't give the ball to in the preseason and say, you're the guy. It was still up in the air. They still weren't sure what they were going to do. They were still acting like he might be a backup. Even when they traded the starter and kept him, they, you know, they still no consistency, no commitment to this kid, and he still put up behind him and went out and performed really well. I think if you give him a, a confident base and foundation and a solid coaching staff, which they may have in place already, time will tell, this kid can be really, really good. All right, number six, Dak Prescott. And no, not because he has the same last name as Big Chris. Ben's cousin Dak? Uh, I t I chose Dak because I think offensively his skill set. There's not many that can rival his skill set on offense. He he can run when he needs to. He's a big body, so he can get those extra yards if he needs to run. He's got a big arm. It's accurate. I think the downfall 
is is twofold. Uh, one, the overinvestment of Amari Cooper, uh, and two, is Ezekiel Elliott actually the answer at running back? And I think those two answers uh, <laughs> are something that Jerry Jones specifically needs to think about because. You know, you could live with Zeke what he is right now if you didn't compound it with Amari Cooper. And there was arguments during the season that when Amari went down that, boy, the offense doesn't look the same. I understand that. If you have three receivers and you lose one and you go down to two, you might not be as effective. But if you had a better number one or – if you recognize that CeeDee Lamb is your number one. Which he is. And, <laughs> right. And you actually use Michael Gallup as a number three, which is what he should be, uh, or or maybe a number two A. Uh, and you replace Mari Cooper with a more consistent talent, maybe not as talented as Mari Cooper, but I would rather have a player that is – let's say 80% the talent of Amari Cooper, but he's going to give me six, well, I guess 17 now, 17 games, as opposed to a 100% Amari Cooper for what? I, I know we joke about it, Chris, but I'll be trying to be a little bit more generous. I would say he's in it for six games a year. Yeah. And that's about it. Yeah. But he really shows for about three or four. And when I mean shows, I mean, top five money value he shows up for three games so i think dak is is pulled back by the talent that's around him as far as uh offensive weapons big question for me about amari cooper and I'm, i know this isn't about receivers to your point yeah he shows up when's the last time you had a, pr- a pre-game conversation of this is a huge game for the dallas cowboys and amari cooper showed out and had a huge game well, I don't. I don't did remember. it happen? Did it happen yeah. on the Dallas Cowboys? Can't remember if it did. I think. I think the bigger Alabama, they came, the, the more visible he is. I, I think it was. I'd have to look. I think it's Alabama. To be honest, to be yep. honest, I think yep. it was Alabama. Yep. No, this isn't. Like I said, all jokes aside, legitimately, like because I don't personally dislike the man at all. I'm just talking talent on the field according to pay, and but that's Jerry Jones' money to waste. So, all right, number. Six for me is your number 10, Derek Carr of the Raiders. Uh, Some might say it's a little bit high. I think we've seen glimpses of borderline greatness with this guy. He had a couple couple years ago, he had a season where he was a legit MVP candidate. Uh, And if he didn't get hurt, truthfully, he probably would have won it. Uh, And then he came back, it wasn't quite the same. They've had a lot of turnover in that organization. They've had a lot of saga between John Gruden and then you know, previously Antonio Brown, um, you know, ownership isn't exactly prone. They're not putting their foot in their mouth. So, I mean, for this guy to go out there and, and perform at a relatively high level, uh, you know, make a lot of jokes because they don't perform well in the playoffs, which is why he's lower on the list if they make it there. This is a quality quarterback who has a lot of potential, and he's a tough kid, uh, and he's not to that age yet, like a few other people on this list I might have put on there, but I didn't where you go. He doesn't have 10 years left. He may not, but he could. So we'll see. But I think 
you could do a lot worse than Derek Carr if you were starting your franchise with, you know, a, a young quarterback who's not quite yet elite. Number five, the current Super Bowl champion, Matthew Stafford. And I think I think if we were doing this list last year, last year, he might not make the top ten lists. But he went out there. Every time someone said, whether it was you, me, or anybody else out there in the media said, you know, he needs to show me something. He needs to show me he, he can show up in a big game. Well, he did. Mm-hmm. He didn't do it in Detroit, but he did it well, in L.A. Big game in Detroit is a double negative. I mean. Right. So, I just think. Or an oxymoron, excuse me. Wrong word. Yeah. Uh, I just think he um, he proved the doubters wrong this year. And honestly, he could go back and run it back next year. He comes up short. He's not losing much. No. You could argue Hall of Fame for him right now, and you wouldn't look silly. I don't know if he's there yet, but it's not Alabama possibility because he's done it. He went into this postseason, had a rough first game, and then just, you know, had – pretty good games all the way into the Super Bowl. I know he had a couple turnovers in the Super Bowl, but he also, you know, they didn't run the ball great, so obviously they they won the game with his arm and getting the ball to before before OG OG uh, Odell Beckham Jr. went down was getting him the ball and then when he, after when they finally decided, "Hey, you know we have Cooper Cup." Yeah, we have Cooper yeah. Cup. <laughs> All right, let's start throwing him the ball. Uh, once they figured that out, then they were in good shape. So I think, like I said, I think last year he probably wouldn't be on this list. He's number five. And, you know, he puts another another uh, year like he did this year, but maybe better. We could now start talking about him in that elite status. Yeah, I didn't pick him. Only because, like I said, I was only eight to ten years left in a career, uh, and I don't feel with his injuries and the length of time he's played, he has that left. So I didn't actually consider him. But if we were going on a list of you know non and considered elite right now, I'd certainly put him on the list. I always thought he was underrated in Detroit, and yeah, I did. I did put him to task and say he's got to show it if he wants to be considered an elite level, and he did. He came into the postseason when they weren't running the ball very well, did exactly what he had to do. Had it to do, had to do, mm-hmm. and uh, in the Super Bowl, nothing else was working when Odell Beckham got hurt. So he and Cooper Cup were like, "Well, the entire world knows if we're winning this game, I'm throwing the ball to you," and they did. And a pretty good Bengals defense wasn't able to stop them, and they came <laughs> out winning the game, doing what everyone in the stadium knew they were going to do. So number five for me is 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 your number six, Dak Prescott. Uh, I'm not going to rehash everything because you. you had good points. I think this guy is incredibly talented. I think we saw how valuable he is to that team when he got injured last year. Uh, and as far as not winning a playoff game, well, other people have to show up too when he throws him the ball. Um, Dak got a lot of Dak got a lot of crap for that that last play with 13 seconds left running up the middle. But realistically you should be able to execute that play despite the ball and kick a field goal i mean that's not any pro team should be able to do that so that's on a lot more people than just dak uh and dak prescott is not the cowboys problem 
is he elite to the level they're paying him? Eh, eh, probably not, but it's all Monopoly money anyway. So uh, he's very young and only had that one major injury, which he seemed to recover from perfectly. So it's not a whole lot of players on this list with the with the you know caveats we put in place to be on this list. I would take in front of Dak Prescott. Number four, I have Russell Wilson. And he's kind of the, I think he's kind of the reason why we're, uh, we're doing this list. Um, and I know he had early success in his career and hasn't had much since. And that could be the Patriot curse. Um, but honestly, I just think it, it boils down to the running game. Um, They've tried to bring in other running backs, but they never – it seems like – I equate it to the Pittsburgh Steelers where they kept trying to bring in other talent, but they kept trying to repeat the same talent they're trying to insert. And and they didn't bring in that, that real, real super talented running back that they needed, a la the Pittsburgh Steelers drafting Najee Harris. That – that's going to be the difference between what the Steelers were and could be. Obviously, they need to fix their quarterback uh, situation, but they have their running back. That's what the Seahawks need to do. They need to fix the running back situation, whether it's uh, Rashard Perry, whether it's um, Chris Carson, DJ Dallas, um, the the kid Homer. I can't I can't think his uh, first name off the top of my head, but it, it's. It's ever since Marshawn Lynch, it's been the same, same thing over and over. Just either the running back's just not good enough. He's okay, but he's not good enough. Or they're good, they just can't stay on the field, and that's a problem. And I think you look, you as Pete Carroll and the GM need to look at it and say, okay. Is it time to look at that running back room and just completely change the whole face of it and just say, we're, we're done. You know, Chris Carson, you've done great things. Uh, I think they already let Rashad Perry go last year. Uh, anybody else who's a backup, we just, you know what? Thanks. Um, good luck. But we're going to do move in a different direction and maybe bring in a veteran running back and then draft a kid, whether – I don't think off the top of my head there's a first round by ability, but there might be a second round early in the draft that would be viable and see where you go from there because honestly, it's just not enough. It's just there's not enough there for me to say it's all about what Russell can't do because I think he's got the receivers. I think he's got enough at tight end. Is the offensive line the problem, or is it the running back? And I think I think you got to start with the running back because the offensive line is five, five, six people. You can't just overhaul that overnight, right? Where you can make little alt- alterations to the offensive line and kind of train them to be have a more of a run mindset, but you got to bring in the guy that you're going to give the ball to 15, 20 times a game, whether it's running the ball or out of the backfield to take that pressure off Russell Wilson, because he has the talent. 
one of the prettiest deep balls you will ever see is Russell Wilson. And I just don't think we see enough of it because they just don't have a consistent running game. So yeah, he has the prettiest deep ball we've ever seen in the first six games of the season. It disappears because he's so beat up because the line isn't protecting him. Um, I Spoiler, I didn't put Russ on my list. Only because, like I said, I wanted players to have eight, what I thought, injury aside, to have eight to ten years of their career left. And much like Stafford, I don't think Russell Wilson has eight or ten years left to play. Uh, now with a series of injuries, uh, or a history of injuries, uh, and, and just a... There's a certain, not decline in his play, but there's a certain kind of it factor certain players have. And I think the last couple of years, you've seen that decline greatly with him. Um, still a hell of a player. Still a hell of a player. And on the right team, certainly capable of making a deep playoff run. But uh, not someone with, uh, like I said, with, with the caveats we put on this list that I would take. But uh, number four for me, is Kyler Murray of the Cardinals. I know the last few weeks have been really shady between him and the Cardinals, which is odd. It almost seems that they're going back and forth, seeing who can be the most ridiculous. Uh, But, God, the raw talent is there. The raw talent is there. And I think the problem you have with his inconsistency is they're either... They know how to be the Lamborghini. They know how to be the 100 miles an hour balls to the wall team. They know how to score 50 points and everything is working right. They don't know how to slow it down and have a long, sustained drive and take time off the clock and pick out the defense piece by piece. This is the same problem the Chiefs were having earlier in the season. And we got that we got in their case about it too. Yeah. You can race 100 miles an hour downfield, but when you have to put a drive together, you're not getting the job done. And guess what? They have a guy named Patrick Mahomes. They adjusted and they figured it out. Kyler Murray's not Patrick Mahomes, which is why he's not higher on the list. Because if he, if I felt this was something he was just going to do next season, I would have put him number one easy. The raw talent is there, without a doubt. He can throw, he can run, he could probably catch if they wanted to do a cardinal special, whatever they want to call it. It's between the years. Yeah. It's between the years of Kyler Murray. They said coming in that he was a quiet guy who had issues taking a leadership role, and. Taking a leadership role does not include wiping your Instagram with all your team's information to try to get their attention. That's something a child does when they're throwing a tantrum and their parents aren't giving them enough attention. Not what a professional quarterback does, not what a grown man does when he's trying to get somebody else's attention. He could have done it a lot better ways, which is why he's lower on the list. But the raw talent, and look, still a young kid. Still going to be some maturity issues there, especially if he's not one to want to take charge. So... I still believe he can turn it around and have a phenomenal career, but they have to get him on a program or whether it's an exercise regime or a diet. I don't know. That's going to give him enough energy late in the season because you get to about week 12 every year, like the college length season, and Kyler just drops off. He's not the same player. So we'll see what happens, but he's number four on my list. I guess uh... – Russell Wilson then kind of falls into that same category for you. Uh, immature with the uh, Instagram. Yeah, really unlike him, too. I agree. Not, I, not I, like honestly, him. honestly, Chris, I think this is the uh, sports athlete kind of thing now where without you're passively sending a signal to your team, I am not happy with you. 
it's sort of like what Ben Simmons did um, this offseason where he just kind of passively showed the Sixers that I'm not – I don't want to be part of your organization, which if you didn't know, he is now a New York uh, net. Um, and James Harden's on the Philadelphia 76 or so. I, I think – and I'll get back to my list. I just think this is what the sports athlete is now where they have a problem with their team, they're going to wipe their Instagram history of that team. They're going to promote their stuff and they're going to say shots fired across the bow. What's your response? Now, do I think it's right? No, because the grown up thing would do pick up the phone or yeah. walk into the office and say, Hey, we have an issue. I'd like to talk it out like grown adults, but as we've discussed before, they don't live in a world exactly. Of, yeah, uh, the same world that we live in. So, yep. whole different, whole different thing. It's much like the baseball. You're living in a fantasy world, literally living in a fantasy world. And that's how, and so. that's their their mechanism to deal with not being happy with the organization. So, anyway, back to the list. I got a feeling, Chris, our top three are. The same three. Uh, I think, yeah, order the event will be a different story, I think, but yeah. And I, I got a feeling that the order is going to be the same, but okay, okay. we'll see. Uh, number three is Justin Herbert. Not uh, the same. I believe, huh? Not the same. Not the same. Not okay. The same. Uh, I got Justin Herbert number three because out of the three of them, he hasn't had the accolades yet that the other two have. Um, so I feel like you give him another piece, another wide receiver piece this off season. Um, who did they, who did they add in the off season last year at tight end? He came from the saints. The name's escaping. Oh, me. oh, oh, um, I wanted ah. the Patriots to get him, And, and he, he kind of um, flaked on the Patriots because they couldn't make a decision on Gronk. And then, Boy, it's escaping me. But they picked him up in, in free agency, which is okay, but he's kind of kind of long in the twos now. Jerry so Cook. T- that, that's it. Yep. He, he can still be a viable piece, but you still need to pair him with someone else. Hunter Henry probably would have been the best scenario, but unfortunately for them, he's in New England. Um, I think a, a wide receiver would benefit them, especially I think Mike Williams is a free agent to pair with Keenan Allen. I don't think they really need to fix the running back situation. Austin Eckler is pretty damn good. You can make that work. You just got to keep those between the tackle uh, runs at a minimum. Kind of what the Panthers need to do with CMC is he could be super talented, but, you know, he keeps taking hits. That's only the, that player is only going to get so far. Um, I don't think they need to do much, Chris. I think this guy is – he's proven the talent that he was going into Oregon as a top recruit. And he's proved the doubters wrong, me included, mm-hmm. coming out of Oregon where he showed absolutely nothing to demand a first-round pick. And I think he's just going to keep growing each and every year. And – this is the kind of guy that you really would look at and say, yeah, I can start start my franchise with him. 
And anyone I add to it is going to make him that much better. Uh, I just, I want to say before I, I name my third, I had a lot of trouble with the top three because you could pick any of the three of these guys and wouldn't have trouble with it. Uh, three for me is Lamar Jackson. Ooh. Um, and look, I want to put him at one. If it's just pure athleticism and, and, and what he can do for the team and, and talent, it is. My problem with putting him there is I think all three of my top three have obviously not Lamar's ability to look like a video game and, and juke all over the field. But that's precisely why I put him at three. If I'm building a franchise, long, it, 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 it was so close between these three, it came down to this little detail. If I'm building a franchise, what's the likelihood this person suffers a, a catastrophic injury? And the way Lamar plays, he's usually smart about not taking huge hits. But with that detail, the running part of his game, there's always that possibility. So I couldn't put him at two. I couldn't put him at one. Uh, but God, I wanted to. Because if you're not talking about a Josh Allen or or, or Patrick Mahomes, Lamar is, oh, I mean, he has the MVP. He has other accolades. He has a playoff win. Uh I mean, the guy's got a bright future. He's going to get a huge contract, whether it's Baltimore or anywhere else. It should be Baltimore if they're smart, but we'll see. I just, and it honestly, like, I'm struggling with it still. I'm struggling with just not swapping it out right now and putting him at one because he's so good and he's so valuable to that team, and he's proven it time and time again. And he's not just a running back. The man can throw. Uh, I mean, and his mom's his agent. I mean, come on. How much more likable can the dude get? <laughs> uh, and he seems like a nice kid on top of it. So, I mean, there's so many good things going for him. It's just the potential for injury is always there. We saw that. He got injured earlier this year and missed quite a few games to the end of the season. I I can't, even with past accolades, justify putting him at one or two even over the other two guys because there's just always that risk he won't be on the field next week. So, I wonder if we have number two the same. I have Joe Burrow at number two. I do as well. Okay. So, so out of out of ten, we have one in the same spot. Uh, Joe Burrow coming off a Super Bowl appearance, he's shown what he has. He's shown swagger. I, I just like what he's done. He's pulled a franchise out of just nothingness and put him in the big stage. That's really all I need to say. Uh, it's Joe Burrow. He, he just, yeah. Yeah. he did what he was good. He was, he wanted to do. He brought a, a swag to a team that didn't have anything. Like if you look at the defense, there's not, I mean, there's some names, but there's not like epic names, but, the confidence he brings in by default is going to ooze into the defense. It's like the giants in 07, their secondary was absolute garbage, but their front four was epically good. Yeah. That's why they won the super bowl. Yep. You can have an absolute garbage secondary, but your, your defense line is so good that it just, it it just makes that a non-factor. Joe Burrow just 
with the amount of weapons he was given. And I gave this Bengals shit for not not drafting Penny Sewell. Now they need to get offensive line help because, as I pointed out, that right guard was just a turnstile most of that game, and that's a problem because we can have a repeat of his rookie year where after a few games he's done because he just took a nasty hit because one of his offensive linemen can't block for shit. So I think there's that injury factor still in place. That being said, the guy is just that damn good. I think this guy could potentially, you could give him whatever you want for talent and he could make it better. I think he, I, I know he's got Tyler Boyd, he's got T. Higgins, and he's got Jamar Chase. Those are three first round picks. I'd like to see what happens when you subtract Tyler Boyd and you insert a second, a third round wide receiver, this draft, next draft, you bring in a guy from another team who is thought of as a number three or four, and he elevates that talent. Because one of the guys on your list, Chris, kind of did that this year in New England. He kind of elevated some, some talent yep. that wasn't thought of. And I'm looking at Kendrick Bourne and made him a lot better than he, than he had been. And I'd like to see a, a piece or two added to that and yep. really open it up. And and that's what I want to see. That's like the one thing I want to see from Joe Burrow going forward is just what kind of talent they, can they add that's not a first-round talent? Can he make that person better? Can he, can he take – can he be a Patrick Mahomes and take talent second round, third round, fourth round draft pick talent and make them a star or make them pro bowl quantity. It'll be interesting. It's number two on my list. Also, uh, he's, he, I know he just went to the super bowl and he's exceptional. People will say, how is he not number one? I'll explain when my number one comes up, but this guy has a ton of talent. He believes in his players. He supports his players. He is the quarterback of a team that looks like they have exceptional chemistry. I'm taking nothing away from the Rams. But what is the likelihood, the way we saw that game unfold, that if Joe Burrow doesn't get sacked, what, what, nine times, ten times in that game? If there's an offensive line that can even respectably hold up that Rams D-line. And we're not talking about even shut them down. You got Aaron Donald and Von Miller. You're not shutting them down. It's not happening. You can slow them down, though. And I don't care what they did in the first half. Ten sacks in the game is not slowing anybody down. If he doesn't get sacked that many times, what's the likelihood that the, the Bengals win that Super Bowl? I think it goes up significantly. Well, I mean, considering we saw in the last play already, that fourth and one, that yeah. <laughs> that Jalen Ramsey fell down and Jamar Chase was wide open. So if Joe Burrow has another second, he's throwing a deep ball down the field for potential game-winning touchdown with seconds left. Didn't happen. Taking nothing away from the Rams. Just saying. This guy's got everything you need. Um, only reason he wasn't one for me was because of the immense talent he has around him. And I feel he has probably, maybe not a better defense, but at least the difference between the two defenses is not so outstanding. You can say uh, there's no justification to just say because of the players he has on offense with him that he's not the better quarterback. 
Right. Uh, so, again, struggled with Lamar, Joe Burrow, and a guy I haven't won, which is probably pretty obvious at this point. But it was a tough call. It was. It was. Um, I go a little more history. I like proven some proven track record. That's why I have Lamar at number one. Uh, he has an MVP already. The most electrifying quarterback on the field. And what I think is a misstep by the um, front office, not providing enough wide receiver help. And that's, that's where the future lies with Lamar Jackson. Um, if they don't sign him to a long-term contract, which look, if they don't, I mean, the Ravens are screwed for what? two, three years because oh, yeah. they built the entire offense around him. Yep. I like Huntley. We've discussed this. He ain't Lamar. No. He's a good copy, but he ain't Lamar. I just think it's, they need, and unfortunately they, they're what middle of the middle of the draft. I think pretty sure somewhere around there. Um, Definitely not. I, I don't mean, think they're top 10. So. There, there's there's some wide receivers that could drop. Um, I've talked about the quarterback class. If they get lucky and some teams reach and try to pull a couple of those quarterbacks earlier, boy, that would be advantageous for the Ravens to see uh, one of those. And, and if they got the pick of the litter in the first round of wide receivers, fantastic. Get the right one, though. Hollywood Brown's nice, but He's not a number one. He needs a compliment. And Sam, and Sammy Watkins isn't the compliment. So let's just dispel that real quick. And the 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 difference is when they went that three offensive, three tight end set that they had a couple of years ago, and they built that offense around that with Lamar. And I think that was the right move. They just started to go away from it because they they trade away Hayden Hurst, which hasn't had success in in Baltimore, uh, in um, Atlanta. But I mean, it's still a factor. You didn't, you're not providing Lamar Jackson with the right pieces. Yeah. You need to give him the right pieces. Uh, he can't win the, win every game running the ball. I think he wants to expand uh, a passing game. I think the offense wants to expand the passing game, but the head coach, the offensive coordinator, and the GM need to get on the same page and say, we need to invest in the right wide receivers to help with, to help the tight end position, to help Lamar Jackson to be the best they can be. And I think that's, I think that's why Lamar's at number one for me is just, if I were starting a if I were starting a team, and here's my quarterback, I know exactly where I'm going next. I'm getting that wide receiver. I'm getting that tight end. Because I saw what they did with the running back position this year. Oh my God, they took so many hits, and they were still productive in the running game. I think Lamar just can make any running back better. Now J.K. Dobbins is should be top 10 running backs in the league. We'll see. But 
you insert that kind of talent with Walmart Jackson. Now your offense opens up completely, but if I like, we're going understanding them starting a team. I don't need to prioritize running back because I can just add somebody, add multiple players with different talent, with different skill sets and be productive in the running right. game. Yeah. Just to uh, answer your question, Ravens pick at this time, 14th in the first round. Uh, and, and I think to your point, they don't, they don't need to go out there and throw the bag at Devonte Adams. No, they don't need to go out there and, and get, you know, one or two absolute top tier, big name receivers. What they need to do is they need to find guys with solid hands who are going to be affordable in their cap. Even if they got to pay them a little bit more than other teams would that are going to be affordable, uh, who want to be part of a team that's probably going to be run first, but they need to know they can rely on those receivers. They have the tight end in place. Mark Andrews is a top tight end, hands down. Uh, the running game, who knows what it would have been last year. Everybody had big hopes for J.K. Dobbins. I know we both did. And then he gets injured. And then the next three starters proceed to get injured and miss the season. Craziness. Uh, the Ravens had more injuries at key positions last year than I can remember any team having in a long time. Uh, so, yeah, it's it's they need to get some consistent hands on that offense. Um, forget about big names. All the talk about them signing Galladay last year. That would have been a mistake. Galladay would not have fit into that offensive structure. Well, he didn't fit in the Giants' offensive structure either. That didn't stop them. But, you know, yeah, Lamar is exceptional. Um, number one for me, Justin Herbert. I know. I hear you. He hasn't had a Super Bowl appearance like Burrow. Doesn't have an MVP like Jackson. I understand those things. Um... Kid just has the it factor. He doesn't have an outstanding offensive line. Pretty good. Not outstanding. Austin Eckler is a great athlete and talented player. The pure running game is not consistent. Uh, And the only consistent receiver he has is Keenan Allen, who's one of the top receivers in the league. Besides that, you got what Mike Williams, who will make some of the most spectacular catches you ever see and then then drop a three-yard screen pass. Yep, it's inconsistency. This kid handles everything from the first moment he stepped on the field last season. When poor, uh, poor um, Tyrod Taylor, Tyrod Taylor got that. Unfortunately, when he got that injection, and the doctor punctured his friggin' lung. Uh, you know, and he missed, and Herbert started without knowing before he even got to the stadium that day against uh, who would be the Super Bowl champion Bucks that year. Uh, and went out, and I think he had a 300-yard game and a couple of touchdowns, and they damn near won that game. It wasn't for a defensive collapse they would have. This kid has poise. Uh, he, he's he got every it factor you can imagine. He's accurate. You don't shake him. Uh, and, and it seems like he has a genuine good relationship with his teammates. You don't hear a bunch of stupid stuff that he's doing. Uh, I mean, I honestly think... When you look back at this generation of quarterbacks, overall success, and there's a lot of metrics for that, I understand that, you're going to go Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, Justin Herbert. Not that it won't be people who are close, but this kid has everything to be one of the great quarterbacks of his generation. We'll see where it goes, but you get... I'm just going to say, nothing away, not, taking nothing away from Joe Burrow. You give Justin Herbert the receiving talent that Burrow has, 
hands down, hands down MVP candidate every year. Just throwing that out there. So, well, that was our top 10 list. I think we kind of approached it from different angles, which is always fun because we don't get the same responses. And that's exactly what we wanted by not having guys like Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes on the list because, I mean, they would have been one and two. Yeah. I mean, easily. So, we kind of like to leave a little bit of suspense to it, even though you kind of could probably guess the top three. The order was different, which is fun. Uh, but hope you enjoyed that. We'll have more things like that in this off season, especially since football is done and baseball does not want to play. And the other two sports are just you know, a, 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 a desert, a desert of interesting news and facts. Anything else? Are you good? Nah, I'm all set, man. All right. That is going to do it for episode 160. You know what? I'm not even guessing. I'm not guessing. I keep forgetting the number. It's going to do it for this episode. It's 165. 165. All right, cool. 165. Of I got to start writing it down. Of Ben and Chris Talk Sports. Thank you so much for listening. If you have questions on this episode, past episodes, or anything else sports related, Ben and I'd love to hear from you. And where can they get in touch with us? Well, you can hit us up on Twitter. That's at BCTSPod. Facebook, Ben and Chris Talk Sports. The website, BCTSPod.com. And Instagram, Ben underscore Chris Talk Sports. And if you have not done so yet and feel so inclined, please go to wherever you download your favorite podcast and leave a rating and a review and subscribe if you have not already. And then maybe ask a friend to do the same. We really appreciate the support. For Ben, I am Chris. Please stay safe, stay healthy. We will see you right back here next Saturday. Thank you.